Transparency. It'll be a positive to health our healthcare system, in particular in the middle of a pandemic, a time when honesty would be welcomed. Unfortunately, that isn't the case when it comes to some physicians and nurses on the front lines. We've seen since the beginning of this pandemic, the truth gets hidden behind public image. Hello and welcome to Unpublished TV. I'm Ed Hand. We're coming to you from a remote location and practicing physical distancing to enhance safety. When COVID made its way to North America, the truth seemed to become more opaque. Remember when the Public Health Agency of Canada suggested we didn't need to wear masks because it would give us a false sense of security? Then months later, they reversed course. Why? Initially, didn't want the public to start hoarding them and making it more difficult to protect those on the front lines. And I wonder if we would have had less infections if we were wearing a mask last March. Now, a few weeks ago, the story of Dr. Brooks Fallis goes viral. He's a shining light at the William Osler Health Center in Peel. Great performance reviews, excellent with patients and colleagues. But he's relieved of his interim medical director position because, as he says, the province started leaning on administration because of his social media criticisms. The center denies it, as does the province, but this has been going on since the pandemic began on both sides of the border. Now, warnings and threats about social media posts that point out shortcomings in response to COVID. Our unpublished vote question asked our viewers and listeners, do you feel physicians and nurses need whistleblower protection? This is not scientific, but a gauge of what our folks feel. 97.5 said yes, 1% said no, 1.5 unsure. Now, however you're watching or listening to our show through social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, or our podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more, I'd like to remind you, you can still cast your vote on this topic at unpublished.vote and email your MP to tell them why. Now, this is a very important topic that needs discussion. I'll be honest, it was quite a struggle to find those who would admit to in intimidation, even fewer willing to speak on the record. We should all be concerned as it's our tax dollars that are in question here. Joining us to discuss the issue, France Jelena, MPP for the Sudbury Area Riding of Nickel Belt and NDP Health Critic. Jim Brophy, Adjunct Assistant Professor, Department of Sociology and Anthropology and Criminology at the University of Windsor. Marty Coyles, Professor of Surgery and at the Institute of Policy Management and Evaluation at the University of Toronto. And Doris Grinspoon is the CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. We'll go around the horn now. Whistleblower protection for these people. Is it enough? We'll start with you, Marty. Well, it's always a challenge. I think you got to remember that healthcare is a hierarchy and uh, uh, there's levels that you have to go through anytime. But it's very difficult when things like social media are also observed by people you work with. And then you may get feedback from above because of something you might have said or written in that environment. So I'll turn it over to the next panel. All right, Jim. Well, I think the issue of, of reprisal and f silencing of healthcare workers, whether it's the physicians, the doctors, personal support workers, is a major issue. Um, we, I have been involved in doing studies on violence in healthcare, which is so endemic to the system that it's now considered just part of the job. And through that whole process, I was so shocked because healthcare workers were afraid to speak about this. The sense of being uh, being silenced, and um, I'll have more to say about that. But I think it's a, a not only is a, a violation of their human rights, but it has major consequences for the public, as we've seen through the the pandemic. Now, Fritz, let's talk about whistleblower protection for physicians and nurses. Uh, is that something you'd like to see 
to protect them? Not only is it something I'd like to see, but this is something that I've been working on for years now. I've presented pieces of legislation called just that, whistleblower protection for our healthcare workers. Um, what Jim just said, I can, I can give you hundreds of stories of uh, nurses that have seen something, that reported it, and rather than addressing the problem, they go against that healthcare workers. They go against the nurse, the nurse who used to be, you know, she's on day shift finally, Monday to Friday, and out of a sudden she gets bumped to a unit she doesn't want to be. She's doing weekend and statutory holidays and night shift and not moving forward. Why? Because she spoke up, because she saw something that was dangerous. She saw something that was wrong, spoke up, and nothing was done to protect her. Uh, whenever I present the bill, I will have hundreds of healthcare workers come to me with their own example of how there's a culture within our healthcare system of silence. And it hurts many of them and it hurts all of us. Transparency is needed. Now, uh, Doris, your organization certainly has dealt with this quite a bit, has it not? Yes, it's correct, but I don't think the issue of whistleblower protection will solve the issue. Uh, look, as a, whistle, as a whistleblower myself, quite frankly, and as a nurse sociologist for my colleague that is a sociologist, we know that hierarchies of power will work themselves with or without whistleblower protection. So uh, let's turn to good examples. Uh, Nathan Stoll, um, David Fisman, um, Dr. Brooks, and then on the weekend, a nurse in a nursing home, which basically went public that, as you know, in the nursing home, the board of directors and their families were vaccinated and she went public. I think whistleblower protection, RNO called the inquiry back then on SARS and we got whistleblower protection within the Nursing Home Act and that has not solved the issue. I'm not saying we shouldn't have it. Of course we should, but will not resolve the problem. We need to absolutely stand behind our professionals, and that's what our NEO does. And they need to know that they can speak up and out on social media or on anything as long as they don't disclose identity of patients. It's a democratic right of every nurse. It's in fact a code of conduct to, to, to speak out when there are wrong issues going on. And uh, we just need to let them free. We need to liberate them, and that's what we are doing, Catarino, with a great degree of success, as you have seen. Look at the Toronto Star today, a major story, uh, Birgit Humanga saying that sick calls are not being covered, etc., etc., etc. Time to speak out because it's the safety valve to the health system in good times, let alone during a pandemic. Now, you, you said there's a code of conduct for nurses, so they're basically obligated to say this. Absolutely. If you see things wrong, as is doctors, as is nurses, you need to speak out on them. No one can or should be afraid of that, as long as you're not disclosing private information about patients. And so what we say to nurses now is you don't speak within inside the parameters of your institution, speak in a park, speak in your home, do that through Zoom like I'm doing it now. Um, look, no one has attacked me. I don't think there is a more vocal person than me. And maybe it's because of that, because I will go to the media and say, hey, this is what happened. Jim, you wanted to okay. say something. Well, I mean, of course, I support for the sentiments that you've just said. Of course, I encourage everyone. But I think the real world 
the one that we actually live in, uh, whatever the codes of conduct are, they have no effect on terms of silencing and the fear of reprisals that exist within the work, the, the healthcare system. I, I mean, we've done extensive studies in hospitals and long-term care. We, the fear that people had, we had to go through major hoops to protect the identity of people in a research study. I don't mean put them on television or on radio. I'm talking about having a private conversation in which their identities are being protected. The fear that they had. This And this has, I mean, I, just a, a week or two ago, uh, five or six uh, personal support workers in Hamilton went to the media talking about what is going on in long-term care. Not, not last March, you know, when the pandemic began, right now, the situation. They had to go with their identities, uh, you know, covered, their faces, you know, and voices modulated. The, the, the real world. I live in where, the real world. You know, the majority, where the majority of health workers are women. In, in place in long-term care are racialized and immigrant. They fear for speaking out. And well, I'm you need saying, to speak with know, that I, association, James. Why they don't encourage them? RNO does encourage them about whatever, right? Is speaking out about solid issues that are a concern to the public. Doris, uh, when we started our silence, our studies on violence. When we started, a woman, a nurse from North Bay had been at a conference yeah. speaking about violence. She was fired. She was fired. She didn't mention her hospital. She didn't mention any of that. The union had to spend over a year and a half a million dollars to get her job back. By the time we started researching and, and, and um, you know, conducting focus groups and interviews, the chilling effect that that had was enormous. Oh, I can imagine. Now, now, France, it, it, the it culture- It took actually more than a year to get this nurse her job back. Mm -hmm. And, and the ripple effect it had, we already talk about healthcare system that has a culture of they do no wrong. And if somebody speaks and leads it to believe that maybe they are some, doing something not quite as good, don't even say that they're doing something wrong. They, already the culture is there to suffocate them. And when they saw what had happened to the nurse, she lost her job. She couldn't pay the rent. She couldn't feed her kids because I she totally understand, at friend. a conference. It, the, the ripple effect was awful in a environment that already muzzle everybody who doesn't say healthcare is great. But France, totally okay. Understand. Totally the culture, understand. The culture of fear, okay. You're on the front lines in healthcare. You're in the middle of a pandemic. And the last that you fear everything already. And to add that on top, how, how, how do these people even show up for work every day? Well, this is why we need both things. Whistleblower protection is one aspect, but if organizations don't stand, and I'm talking the organizations of nursing, PSWs, doctors, and others, don't stand side by side with those that want to do better, by basically saying where we can improve things, then we have a problem. No whistleblower protection will help. This is what I'm saying. It's not that we don't need the whistleblower, it's that we'll not solve the issues unless we power them. people. All right. Well, so I think realistically, however, we still, even though we pretend not to be, we, we work within cultures of blame, not within just cultures. And the reality is there's still plenty of finger pointing and there's a great fear 
for many of the nurses who I work with in particular to say, I'm not going to say anything because someone will then come back and get me. So you're absolutely right. But it's very difficult to them to go to their organizations, too, because they still feel that they have a security in their job and there's going to yeah. be reprimand. Yeah, absolutely. That is the case. Now, Marty, uh, let, let, like, oh. from the physician point of view, let's talk about the Hippocratic Oath for a second here. And uh, obviously, I haven't got it. But now, in the Hippocratic Oath that you've taken, what, what is exactly covered for physicians? So it goes back thousands of years, obviously, to the time of Hippocrates. But it's based on what Dora said. It's a code of conduct. And it's uh, treating your not only your patients, but your colleagues with dignity and respect and doing the best thing possible in order to get the best outcome. So in, in short, that's what the Hippocratic Oath is. So from what you've seen about doctors and nurses that have come forward complaining or pointing out shortcomings, uh, are they within the, within the Hippocratic Oath? In reality, most people are silent. I, I think they, the, the opportunities to be vocal and feel protected to be vocal are zero. I, I agree with you. Um, and just have a look like, I find like once physicians have retired, sometimes they will feel uh, strong enough to finally be able to voice what was there their entire career. They knew it was wrong. They knew that we could do better. They knew the patient would benefit. They knew the healthcare system would benefit. But if they spoke up while they were working, there was too much at risk. Once they retired, some of them uh, feel finally they can't hold it anymore and they start to speak up. But to get somebody in practice right now to speak up, there is just too much to lose. The culture has to change. You really have to uh, show that it is okay to show that our healthcare system is not perfect. This will motivate us to make it better. But that's not the culture of the place right now. The culture of the place is to mm. silence the one who points out uh, weaknesses into our healthcare system. And, and they do this in sometimes in ways that are so brutal and so hard on the person uh, that you say, I'm never going to walk down this, this path. I don't want this to happen to me. Jim, so can, can I, I totally Okay, agree. hang on. Let's go to Doris and Jim. Go ahead, Doris. I totally agree, uh, Franz, with what you said, that we need to create a culture of safety and a culture of speaking out for safety. I want to take the other side of the coin. We all agree we need whistleblower protection, whether it will be effective or not is the question. Um, let's talk about how we develop a culture of safety. Let me give you concrete examples. Vanessa Burkowski, president of RNO, was fired at one hospital for speaking out, was hired two weeks later in a bigger position, better position, the previous hospital needed to pay a huge settlement. Second, the nurse that came over the weekend now, to speak out, nothing will happen to her. Third, all the nurses that we have worked with that are speaking out, listen, it is up to us to power up society. This is not, by the way, only about nurses. I know of mm -hmm. two reporters, two reporters last week were fired because of the programs they're doing. We need to power up society to really what democracy is. Otherwise, let's not say we have democracy. Yeah, good point. 
Good point. Uh, Jim, uh, the culture of fear, and you talked to a, a lot of people in your study. Uh, I'm wondering, when did this culture of fear start? Was this part of the pandemic or is this before that and it's just been festering since? Oh, no. I mean, that, that was kind of what I was trying to, you know, provide as a context what I was saying. I mean, we were doing these studies 2017, 2019, pre-pandemic. And when we did literature uh, reviews as in preparation for the study, we found thousands of articles and studies by nurses, by doctors, by healthcare workers around the issue of violence, especially after around 2000, 2001 and two, the numbers of studies continued. And all of these studies were pointing out this repressive culture that is built up inside the healthcare system that keeps silencing everyone inside, it kind of raises questions about what's going on. And I think it's very important for us to understand, I mean, there was two things. 85% of the healthcare workers are women. They are, this silencing cannot be separated from the general problem of, of patriarchy and what we have in our society of silencing women, because it is most obvious in these work environments in which women predominate that this kind of practice go on. I think that's, that's, that's sort of, for me, that was one of the th takeaways. Mm -hmm. The second thing is we started our, our third study just months into uh, the pandemic. It was triggered by a poll done by the Ontario Council of Hospital Unions. And in that poll, 87% of the healthcare workers, there was over 3,000 people involved, said that they felt that they were not adequately protected in terms of personal protective equipment and so on. 91% said that they felt abandoned by the government. This is early stages. This is, these are in the first months. Now, you know, here we are almost a year in, over 17,000 healthcare workers have been, affected, uh, have been infected in Ontario. 20 have died. We've had, you know, over 3,000 deaths in long-term care among residents. Still, people are fighting over these basic things, but still not saying so publicly. It's taking programs like yourself, investigations by the Toronto Star, you know, courageous people who get their faces, you know, covered and their voices modulated to speak out publicly about all of this. We are still, even in the time when we're in a social crisis over this pandemic, still keeping the frontline people who are in most direct contact with, you know, this issue quiet. Jim, you, you made a, a point about patriarchy and, and the difference in sexes. And when I finished medical school in 76, most doctors were men, most nurses were females. And it was terribly patriarchal. It was definitely a state of harassment, which is, was accepted as being okay. Uh, HR and everything else that's occurred uh, and with the paradigm shift with females now dominating, dominating the medical schools and being the new doctors of today, Things have changed, but we've also reached an area where we've become so, back to the culture of conduct, or uh, um, we've become so fixated on it that now people don't talk to one another. They're afraid to open their mouths to one another, let alone to whistleblow. So I think we have to look at not only the past and, and undoing the wrongs that we did, but we can't let pendulums go to the point where there's no communication and conversation, because that's just as bad and that's another reason why I think people don't open their mouths is because there's just no relationship anymore. And, and well, the other piece to build on what you just said, Martin, 
is the politicization of the conversation. Uh, I think we need to get back to um, whistleblowing as a safety valve for patient care and for the health system. The health system is also our patient. And what has happened with some of the people that are coming forward is colleagues even within the same profession, in medicine in particular, in nursing, that happens less, start to attack them. Uh, even within even within people that have the same goals in mind towards the end of it. But you didn't say exactly this, you said exactly that. Uh, we need to get back to the basic. The basics are speaking out is really a safety valve for patients and for the health system. That's what it uh, is. I, I couldn't agree more, Doris. You know, when uh, Jim was talking about the research that they have done, we've all seen, I mean, we see the stats where the waits in the emergency rooms are really long, uh, then hospital having to work with 120% capacity. That means that there are people who will be sick enough to be admitted into our hospital, but will be in a TV room or shower room or at the end of a hall or whatever. And we are all human beings. When we go to the hospital and we're not feeling good and we have to wait there for 36 hours, the person who will come, it doesn't matter that she is the best nurse ever, there's a good chance that that person blows up because she has been waiting in pain for 36 hours to get care. Same thing when you are sick enough, you're finally admitted into the hospital and they put you into a shower room where you have no call button, where the floor is cracked and dirty and all the rest of this. There's a good chance that in those moments of pain, the nurse that comes in, you will blow up at her. But if that nurse ever says that the patient raised their hands and, and hit her or whatever, there is no support because what is the nurse really saying? She's saying that the wait times are too long and she's saying that the, the rooms that we're putting patients in is not adequate and, and doesn't meet expectations or whatever. Yeah, I, I think you're taking it against that nurse. I think I agree with all the issue of not putting patients in the wrong place, but if the nurse is hit, I can assure you the manager will be on the side of the nurse and will take care of it. I'm sorry. Uh, I am in the field all the time and I'm with my colleagues all the time. So uh, let's not, let's not, let's put things in proportion. Uh, maybe if there is a manager that behaves that way, that needs to be tackled, but that's not in general the case. The issue uh, Jim, Jim what does your research show about uh, violence against nurses? Uh, there are many pieces well, of it. I, I think you're, I, I think Francine, what you've been saying is exactly what we were told and documented and not just even in our own research, but in the research throughout the literature. I mean, uh, mo most healthcare workers don't even report internally forget about whistleblower protection outside the health hospital or the long-term care. Inside, they don't speak, they don't report. I think in, in polling that, that uh, the Ontario Council of Hospital Unions did, I think it was you know less than 50% of, of the healthcare workers felt safe enough to report inside the hospital, even in very serious incidents like you're describing. I, I, I wanna say something about the culture. Game. I can say just, right. just to start very quickly. Um, you know, one of the really important documents, I think we'd, I normally don't promote royal commissions <laughs> as good reading because it's usually good for dealing with insomnia. But in this case, I think it was an exceptional report, the Judge Campbell's report of the SARS commission. It laid out this, all the issues that we're discussing here today. I mean, I'm amazed that this person and their staff heard 
so clearly what had happened in the SARS commission. It talked about this culture of safety that needed to be brought into the hospitals and into the, our healthcare system. It's nowhere. It I talked agree about on the issue of the culture of safety. That we agree. Uh, uh, it's the, more uh, complex. The, 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 the need for the precautionary principle that we don't wait till all the dots are, you know, are, are been made. We know for absolute certainty that the, the virus, for instance, is airborne or whatever. We operate on the basis that the consequences of not taking safety measures seriously from, from the get-go, the uncertainty, we can't let that stop us from doing what we know would protect people's lives. That's one of the reasons that failure is there. My, my last point is one of the things that, that Judge Campbell pointed out was the failure of our regulatory system, the Ministry of Labor. This is in part an occupational health catastrophe. This, this is a, a catastrophe when you have a work environment, 17,000 people having been infected like this in an environment where they're supposed to be safe. I mean, you know, whatever. And it was un, the, the, the regulatory system, Judge Campbell pointed out was broken in 2003 and four. Today, when we, in our studies in polling, no one believes that the Ministry of Labor or the Ministry of Health is anywhere in this picture. That's one of the reasons that workers are silent. I mean, even if they get the nerve to contact the government and the inspectors show up, if they do, they consistently side against the, the, the healthcare workers. There was over 200 work refusals around uh, personal protective equipment. The Ministry of Labor didn't sustain one, not one. And we now know that the workers themselves were right, that the level of protection they were given is wrong. That's why there's so many infections or one of the contributing factors for so many infections. And that's what I wanted to ask France about was the uh, the Ministry of Labor and all this. It obviously, it, it hasn't sounded like it's been supportive of anybody speaking out about, about the issues. And, and, and France, what concerns you about that? Well, I would say um, the talking about has been used for by the government for a reason to muzzle people. So if if you talk about the healthcare system in general, there's already a culture that keeps it a secret. But if you speak out and it happens to be a plan that the government has supported and you speak out against it, then the government feels that it is okay to come across and to come against healthcare workers because the entire system that they work on is doing it. So we've seen Mr. Ford, sorry, Premier Ford, and how he treated uh, Dr. Fallis. Uh, we've seen it um, within the Ministry of Labor who goes uh, investigate re work refusal and zero of them are recognized. Um, so now a politician and ministry feels that it is okay to muzzle and to bully our healthcare workers. But remember one thing at the end of the day, people always trust physician way more mm -hmm. than they trust politicians. Oh, isn't so that the truth? To build on that, if I may, before I leave, because I do need to leave. Um, the reality is uh, the highest trusted health professional in all the public polls for the last 10 years have been nurses with all due respect, France. Thank you. But it is nurses at the mm. top of the scale on public trust. The issue of people not speaking out, nurses, media, etc., has to do with two things. In the case of nurses, and I am involved since 1974 in many countries, and it happens in all of them. 
is two things. It goes back to the culture that we build. And there are two pieces. One is, it's part of your job, you know, in a psych unit. It's part of your job. And nurses even have absorbed that through the years. It's part of your job to put up with that. No, it's not part of your job. If someone hits you, it's not part of your job. That's not why you became a nurse. Second is the issue of the hierarchies in organization. And again, that is up for all of us, all of us with every government, I would suggest to you, because I've worked with many governments in this country and others, with all of us to power up people because it's the safety valve for patients and for society and for organizations that people actually can point out to areas of improvement. Absolutely it is. All right, Doris, you hang tight for a second. Marty, I just wanted to go to you for, to, to wind up. And uh, you, you said you, you've been uh, finished med school in 76. What kind of a change have you seen in terms of administration? You don't have to point out anybody in particular or whatever, but what kind of changes have you seen in, in, in uh, your span in med medicine? So it's interesting. I spent most of my career in the U.S. The, the day I finished medical school, I went there to do training and I've I've uh, spent 30 years practicing medicine in academic centers. Coming back to Canada, I look forward to see a single payer system, which turns out not to be a single payer system. It's a series of provincial and territorial insurance companies who also run the hospitals and pay the doctors, which I, I have not been enthralled with, to be quite honest with you. And I, I, I feel I walked back 40 years in time it's as if I walked out the front door when I left in 1976 and came in the back door and the table was set with everybody wearing the same clothes as it was 40 years ago. I've seen almost no change. Administratively, I can only speak to the hospital that I work at, that the current administration during the pandemic, at least, since it's a new administration, has been um, very um, uh, good at communicating with, with the physicians and nurses. Does that mean that we have the appropriate leadership from physicians and nurses and respiratory therapists and cafeteria workers? The answer is no, it's still hierarchical, top down, and a lot of reaction and, re and it's reaction in many ways. It's mm -hmm. the budget is through the government. The government is through our taxes. There's a lot of complicated things. Healthcare is complicated and a moving target. All right. I want to thank all of you for joining us today on Unpublished TV. Marty Coyle, Professor of Surgery at the University of Toronto. James Brophy is with the, the University of Windsor. France Jelena, MPP with the Nickel Belt, as well as the NDP health critic. And Doris Grinspoon, CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. Thank you all for joining us in a terrific discussion. As you mentioned, a very difficult one that not a lot of people are willing to uh, tackle. Coming up on our next Unpublished TV, any sympathy? for those who went on vacation down south and are stuck in the restrictions. I didn't think so. Hope you can join us on the next Unpublished TV. I'm Ed Hand. Stay safe.